think the hungers and the desires of the human heart are common to all of us. I mean, I think there are a lot of people in the world who want to live in peace and in security. A lot of people in the world want to live in uh, e- eternal joy and fulfillment, and they want to live a, a happy and fulfilled and, and flourishing life. And there are a lot of things offering that in the world. There are a lot of, there are a lot of uh, offers made from uh, products and people and and, and uh, all kinds of, of different uh, offers from the world that are saying, hey, wh- if you will come and go with us, if you will do what we do, if you will listen to our way of living, if you will go by our path, then, then you'll know peace and security. You'll know happiness and fulfillment. There are lots of different ways offered. There is really only one way. There is one way to have eternal peace and security. There's only one way to have eternal joy, to have eternal fulfillment, eternal happiness. There's only one way to God. As we look in, in these, this last uh, chapter or two of the book of Revelation, I want you to see this compelling vision of of. All of our hungers, all of our desires, all of, the, all of the things that are common to us as human beings of what we desire, what we were made to live for, what we were made to enjoy. See it displayed, but understand there's only one way to get there. There's only one way to live in this place, in this place where there is peace and security, in this place where there is, is love and joy. That's through faith in Jesus Christ. There's only one creator. There's only one lamb who was slain. There's only one way to know God. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be in uh, Revelation 21. We're going to start in Revelation 21. We're going to see a place. A place that is also a city, that is also a people, that is a bride, that is a all, all kinds of different things lumped in together to give us a vision of what it looks like to be the people of God living in God's presence. We're going to see first the place where the bride is a city. The place where a bride is a city. Where the bride is a city. Look at Revelation 21. Revelation chapter 21. Read verses 9 through 14. what it says then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying come I will show you the bride the wife of the lamb and carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God having the glory of God its radiance like a most rare jewel like a jasper clear as crystal it had a great high wall with 12 gates And at the gates, twelve angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve set foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Now, John is, these these four images that we're going to be looking at today, they are really an expansion of what Revelation 21 verses 1 through 8 told us. Uh, that is, there's a bride, there's a new Jerusalem, a new heavens, and a new earth. Uh, there is God living with his people. Now we're going to expand on that and see a, a bigger picture and see in more detail what that means for us. 
And so the first thing is that John, John has this vision of an angel. It's one of the seven angels of the last plagues. You kind of think of these angels. These are the angels who are wrapping everything up. These are the angels who are finishing everything. And the angel says to him, I'm going to show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in Matthew 9, Jesus compares himself to the bridegroom. He's the groom who is coming to take his bride Uh, In Ephesians 5, uh, Paul talks about how the church is the bride that Christ lays his life down for. The bride is the church. The bride is the wife of the Lamb. We are joined to him. We have this union where all all of our deficits, all of our debts, all of our sins are taken by him and paid by him and all of his riches and all of his immeasurable kindness uh, toward us is given to us through his death on the cross. And she is radiant. You look there in in verse 9. She she comes down and she is radiant. She is beautiful. She's the bride that's being sort of compared to Babylon, uh, the great prostitute back in chapter 17. She's She's the alternative. She's the opposite. This is the church that was faithful to God. The, the bride that is beautiful and adorned, glorified by God. Now then, I want you to keep this vision of the church in mind when you look at all the ordinary people who make up the churches. You know, the, the book of Revelation, the whole New Testament, is not blind to the problems in the church, to problems in churches. You know, look at chapters 2 and 3, there are all kinds of problems in these seven churches. There are five churches that to varying degrees were compromised uh, morally, they were compromised in their teaching, they were compromised by idolatry. There were two other churches that didn't have problems inside, but they had problems outside. Or they lived in difficult places and, and faced difficult circumstances, even persecution and even death. So the, the, the book of Revelation is not blind to the problems that churches have, yet when it pictures what's happening in the future and who the church is and what the church is in the presence of God, it looks at the church and says, this is the bride. This is the glorified and holy church of God. Keep that in mind. Keep both in mind. When the, when the Bible warns the churches, then we ought to warn and be warned by what Jesus Christ says. But when the Bible pictures the bride of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, as those who have been washed clean, as those who have been sanctified, that is set into a, a new holy category by Jesus' death on the cross, then we also ought to see the churches that way. We ought to see all these people who are just look like ordinary people who are the redeemed of Jesus Christ as those who are beautiful and sanctified and holy in God's presence. Now then, he says, I'm going to show you a bride, but then you look at verse 10, he shows him a city. Because the bride is a people, is a city. When he talks about, wants to express, what is, what is it? What, what are these, what are the, is this place? The, the place is not so much about the place, it's about the people who inhabit the place, and about the one that they live with. So sometimes I, I think we kind of, we're talking about a city here, and we could get distracted thinking about the architecture. The architecture, the city planning, is not about the city. It's not about decorations. It's about the people who are living there and the God who lives there. 
And so the Spirit takes uh, John, says it takes him up on a great high mountain. Uh, in the Old Testament, the, the Garden of Eden was thought to be on a mountain, and he had these four rivers that flowed down from it and gave life to everything. The, the Jerusalem was on a mountain that was uh, thought of as, or, or pictured on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is, if it wasn't the highest mountain in, in Israel, it was the highest theologically. It was the highest in, in magnitude as far as this is where God makes his dwelling place. Uh, the picture from Ezekiel uh, 40 through 48, which a lot of this vision is taken from, pictures the temple on a great mountain, and there's a, a great river that flows out of it that gives life to everything. So carried up on top of this mountain, and he sees the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. This is, in, again, in contrast to, say, like the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, the people at Babel gathered together, and they said, hey, we're going to make a name for ourselves. And they, they tried to make a name for themselves by building up a tower to heaven. This is not those who try and build up a tower to heaven. This is the ones who come down from God, from heaven. This is not those who are trying to glorify themselves, but those who have been glorified by God. God, God glorifies us as a gift. He glorifies the church as a gift. We, we share in his radiance, in his glory, in his holiness. He makes us holy. And so the holy city comes down, see in verse 11, having the glory of God. Its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like jasper. It's kind of a, a, a reddish, yellowish, but it's clear as crystal. That is, it's a, it's a, it's a perfectly smooth stone. So it's kind of like this, the, this, this flaming fire-like stone with this brilliant reflection of everything of God's glory everywhere. It's coming down from God. And it has 12 gates and 12 angels and 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Now, recognize you're talking about this, this city but look at all these numbers. If you remember how the numbers work in the book of Revelation, uh, they're often uh, almost entirely symbolic. And that number 12 is the number of the people of God, like the 12 tribes of Israel. Or when Jesus selects his apostles, those who are going to be sent out by him, he selects 12 apostles who are going to be the, sort of the foundation for the new true, true Israel. And so you have these, these 12. It's this high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels, it's not about the city. It's not about the architecture. It's not about the, the city planning. It's about the people. This is saying something about the people. And so you have these, these 12 gates and the 12 angels who are guarding the gates. And on the, on the gates or around the city walls, there are the 12 tribes of Israel. That is, this is the whole people of God. This is the whole people of God brought together redeemed we saw this picture back in chapter 7 of all these uh this innumerable multitude of people who have been bought by the blood of jesus christ redeemed by the death of jesus christ here they all are in god's city in fact they are god's bride in god's city which is god's people and they're living there it also says that there are uh, on the foundations of the walls the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Uh, back in Ephesians 2, Paul says that the church was built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. 
That is, it's built on the testimony of the apostles about Jesus Christ. They were given the Spirit, and they were given all truth by the Spirit to to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. They were established as witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that everything in the church was built on the teaching of the apostles. That's why we give so much attention to the teaching of God's Word. is because that's what the church is built on. It is a, a pillar of truth built on the foundation of the eyewitness testimony of the apostles. So here is God's people built on the testimony of the apostles, gathered together, radiant, holy, glorified in God's presence. There's one other thing about this, this picture here. It says there are three, uh, three gates or three names on the north and three, gate, three gates and three names on the east and on the south and on the west. This is the same pattern from the book of Numbers. In case you haven't been reading in Numbers lately, the whole idea there is that God sets them up. He says, we're going we're gonna to camp, and when we set up camp in the wilderness, uh, I want there to be three tribes on the east, and three tribes on the north, and three tribes on the south, and three tribes on the west. And then who's in the middle? God is. The tabernacle is. Jesus Christ is. God dwells with his people right there in the middle of, of these, these tribes. It's a picture of God dwelling with his people. What is it that makes this city holy? What is it that makes it radiant? What is it that, that glorifies it? It is the presence of God in their midst. This is where we live with God. This is where we are made right with God. This is, this is where, where we have access to God. And all the glory and the beauty that he shares with us and gives to us. This is the place that we're looking for. John gives this to us and and reminds us of what it's going to be like in the future. So that we will remain faithful in the present. All these believers, all these uh, people in the churches who are holding fast to Christ and, and being encouraged to stay faithful to him. Why? So that we will live with God in this place. So that we will be holy and glorified in his presence. The church doesn't always look like the bride in this age. So the churches are filled with difficulty. From the inside and from the outside. All around the world and all throughout this time. But in the end, we're the bride who is the city. We are the people who live in God's presence forever and ever. So this is the place where the bride is a city. Next we see where the city is a most holy place. The city is a most holy place. Look at verse 15. Read through verse 21. It says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the, fifth, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, and the, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. 
what God measures is what God protects. So taken again from the vision of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 40 through 48. And again, Revelation chapter 11. God, God sends this angel. This angel has a measuring rod. And what the angel measures is what, the, what God protects. And so what he does is he goes and he measures out the city. Back in chapter 11, God had also measured the, the, the temple with the measuring rod of an angel. But he measured the temple, but not the outer courts. The, the message there is that in this age, uh, which in chapter 11, you know, three and a half years, 1,260 days, is the idea of a, a time of testing, a time of tribulation, a time of difficulty that the, the church is going through. But God protects his people. He secures his people. He holds them and assures them of his love. That doesn't mean uh, everybody who has any kind of connection with the church. It means those who are gods, who have been marked as God's people. They are kept safe and they are kept, kept protected throughout this period. Now then, when we get to the end though, what God is doing is measuring the whole people of God and the whole people of God are here. And so he, he begins to measure the, the, the city and the city is uh, square, so it's, it's Square on all of its edges are the same. It's 12,000 stadia, which is, if we were trying to convert it into our metrics, which would be about 1,400 miles. Uh, or uh, at that time, it would be the whole civilized world. But if you remember how the numbers have worked in the book of Revelation, you understand that that's not, it's probably not the point. It's probably not to say, hey, it's 1,400 miles square. It's saying that it's 12,000 thousand stadia square that is it's the number 12 which is the number of the people of God times a thousand which is uh, a number of completeness this is the whole people of God this is the whole number of God this is all God's people gathered together in God's presence if you remember back again in chapter uh, 7 where there's this vision of 144,000 it's 12 times 12 times a thousand that's the number that John hears then when he turns and he looks he sees an innumerable number from every tribe and nation and people and language and so it's not about it's not about an exact number of people who are going to go to some certain place and other people I suppose will go someplace else it's it's about the whole people of God being gathered into God's presence the whole people of God being here where God is keeping them safe The walls are all the way around and they are protected by God. They have been measured out by God and they are now safe and secure for eternity. Now then when he looks at it, the the walls are also 144 cubits. Again, 12 squared or 12 times 12. The complete number of the people of God. Look at the the wall that's built of jasper. Again, this uh, this flaming picture is crystal clear. That is, it's smooth these flaming walls, but the whole city is of gold. Again, you see that, you see that in uh, verse 18, and again in verse 21. This whole place is built of, of gold, uh, even has pearls for its gates. In the, in the tabernacle, first in the tabernacle, and then later on in the temple, you, you would have this progression from the outside of, of precious metals. This progression from, say, bronze on the outside. So what do you have in the outer court? You have the bronze altar. And you have 
uh, you you have hangings held up by bronze bases. And you have a bronze bowl where they would wash their hands. So you have bronze. And then you start to move further and further inside and it comes, turns from, uh, from bronze into silver. Holds up the bases of the, of the tent itself. And, and you have these, these, different, these different silver markings and maybe a little bit more gold. But then you move into the most holy place. The place that the high priest would only enter into once per year. The, the, the place that was the uh, sort of God's inner chain, chamber, his inner sanctum where God lived. Now you're looking at a whole city where the whole place is gold. The whole place is saying this, this whole place, which is also a people, is where God lives. He doesn't live separated from us. He doesn't live as, there, there, there are no more reminders about our sin brought on by the altar. There are no, there's no separation between us and God. There's only us in God's presence forever and ever. Also, this city is square all the way around. It's also a cube, the same as this most holy place in the temple. Solomon's temple, the most holy place, was a cube. It was a, it was a place where God's presence was especially made known or especially thought of as residing this is where the whole city is a temple the whole city is a most holy place the whole city is the place where the 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 curtain of the temple was torn and we go into God's presence and we live with God forever and ever you also look at the stones they're there there's another connection here to the old testament to the high priest, the high priest would wear this breast piece that would be uh, four rows of three stones, one for each of the, the tribes of Israel. And it's these 12 stones. It was also square. Uh, like a lot of what the priest wore, he wore things that matched the temple or matched the tabernacle. And so he's wearing this square breast piece with these 12 stones that represent the priest bringing God's people into God's presence. But where are these stones? They're the foundation of the city. That is, we're not, we're, not, we're not waiting for a priest to bring us into God's presence. We live in God's presence. This is what Jesus Christ has done for us. This is what Jesus Christ does for us. What, when, when Jesus Christ returns, when all things are made right, he brings us into the presence of God where all these places where we can no longer go, we can never go ever again because of our sin, now through Jesus Christ, God brings us into his presence. We're protected by these walls. We live in God's dwelling place. We are Christ's bride, living with God forever and ever. So we've seen where the bride is a city. We've seen where the city is a most holy place. Next we see where everyone walks in the light. Where everyone walks in the light. Pick up in verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. The glory, uh, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. They look at verse 22 and says there's no temple there. There's no temple there because the whole place 
is a temple. The whole place is where God dwells. Like there's no, there's, no lo- there's no localized place where you would think of God dwelling because God dwells everywhere. Now, of course, we, th- we think of God now as being omnipresent. That is, he's everywhere. There's, there's no place that you can shut him out of. There's no place that, you can, uh, that he is contained. But when we're talking about God's presence in this way, we're talking about not just God being present. We're talking about God being present to bless. That is, God's presence being there to give life and joy to people. And when John looks at this city, there's, there's no temple there. There's no place that you go to. The, the whole place is God's presence. God's pleasant presence to bless fills this place where God's people are. There's no, the, the, the lamp is the lamb. There's no light. There's no need for sun or moon. I don't think this necessarily means we'll never get to see stars again. Uh, I think the light is not so much about luminescence as it is about truth and holiness. Already in 1 John 1, John has already said we should walk in the light. Uh, Paul says in Philippians 2 that we shine like stars. Walking in the light has to do with not necessarily lumens, but truth and holiness. What everybody in this city walks by the light of God. Everybody in this city lives by the truth and holiness of God. There's nobody else. You look at the kings. The kings bring their glory into it. All the nations are walking by this light. Everybody who lives here, all these people who are, who are bought by Jesus Christ from every tribe and people and nation, they're all walking by the truth. They're all walking in accordance with Jesus Christ. They're all walking in the ways that God has commanded there's no more disobedience, no more, no more evil. The kings who are bringing their riches in. There was this connection between Babylon and the kings. that The, the kings sort of made this partnership with Babylon to become rich. But they were, they were becoming rich for their own glory. Here, the glory is not being for the kings, but the kings are bringing their glory to God. They're bringing their riches to God. Solomon, when Solomon built his temple and when he was ruling, there were people coming from all these nations to see his glory. It's kind of this template or this pattern, this type of what it's like for people to enter into the kingdom of God. Now that all things are fulfilled here, all people are bringing everything that they have. They're bringing all glory to God forever and ever. There's no night there. The the gates are never shut. The reason why they would shut the gates at night is to protect the people from intruders. But there's no, there's no concern about that anymore. Nobody ever shuts the gates. You, know, you might think of like the, the kind of stereotypical small town where everybody knows everybody and everybody's uh, upstanding and, and there are no, uh, all the children are above average and that kind of thing. Like, like uh, every, everybody there is nice and nobody locks their doors at night. Well, this is like that. Only this is real. This is the place where where they don't close the gates because there's no fear. There's no night. You know, there are some places in the world, a lot of places in the world, where you don't want to be caught out, out of doors at night. You don't want to be walking the streets at night. But in the, in the Jerusalem, in this place, in this city, there is no night. There's nothing to fear anymore. There's, there's no anxiety. There are no worries. There are no fears. They're all taken away. To live here with God is to live without fear, to live without anxiety. This world, this age, is a place of anxieties and fears. 
It's a place where there are difficulties. The New Jerusalem, which is a place, which is a city, which is also the bride, which is also God's people, there's no more not. There's nothing left to fear. There's no more, no more anxiety, no more worry. No night. They'll bring into it the glory and honor of the nation. You look at verse 27, goes back to verse 8. There's nothing evil in this city. There's nothing false, nothing detestable. Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. What God does in eternity is he shuts all the sin out. All, all, all sin, all that is unclean, all that is fear-promoting and fear-inducing, all that brings about uh, curses and, and difficulty and hardship and evil, they're all shut out. There are walls around the people of God in the age to come so that nothing evil ever enters in again. So that God's people always live safe and secure, fear-free, problem-free, for eternity. Now you have to keep the other eye on who John's talking to. Remember there are compromisers in the church. That there are those who blend their Christianity with the local idolatry. Who love the world. And John's saying... Those people who might even be inhabitants in the church will not be inhabitants in a new heavens and a new earth or a new Jerusalem. They'll not be a part of the people of God. They'll be outside. Everything that is unclean, everything that is unholy, everything that is evil or detestable or sinful will be gone. Those who live there are those whose sins have been taken away, whose sins have been cleansed by the Lamb. The lamb who was slain for the sins of the world. Jesus Christ died to take away our sins so that we would have access to God. So that the curtain of the temple would be torn in two. So there would no longer be a high priest who goes in once a year, but Jesus Christ himself would be our high priest so that we would have access to God, so that we would boldly come into God's presence, so that we would come into God's presence with confidence now, even in prayer, and one day we would live in God's very presence forever and ever. God lives with his people here. This is a place where there's no evil, there's no darkness, no night, no intruders, no, nothing false, nothing detestable. There's only God's people living in God's place under his blessing forever and ever. Finally, the last thing that we see was we see a place where there is life. Look at chapter 22, verses 1 through 5. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, Bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light." And they will reign forever and ever. This particular image is especially picking up on Ezekiel 47. Ezekiel 47, there was a temple. And from the temple flowed a river. And everywhere that the river went, it went to the east, all the deserts 
become flourishing gardens. And it goes to the west and all, everything there, all the, the salt sea turns fresh water. Everything is made right. Well, here John is picking up that same image and saying, the river of the water of life flows here. The Garden of Eden was pictured as this place with four rivers. Four rivers that flowed out and watered everything so that it was always lush, that it was always green, it was always productive, it was always fruitful. John is saying, that's like where heaven is. That's like where God is. That's like a, a new heavens, a new earth is like the Garden of Eden. We're not just taking back to the temple. The temple itself was just a picture for the Garden of Eden with all these pomegranates and all these trees and this, this lamp in the middle of it. It was about the presence of God. Here at the end, we're brought back to the Garden of Eden. Back to the place where God gives life. Now, on each side of the river, uh, there's either a tree of life that maybe spans the river, or maybe there's like stands of trees of life. But it, whatever it is, there, are, there is fruit 12 months out of the year. Different kinds of fruit all the time. I try and think about this uh, from the, the point of view of a largely agricultural people. Like they are, they are laboring and toiling in the spring, sowing, and then they are laboring and toiling in, in the fall to harvest, and they are laboring uh, to preserve everything that they need to make sure that they're going to make it through to the next year. The idea of paradise for them would have been trees that grow and produce 12 months out of the year that all you do is you go and pick the fruit. No, no tedious labor in sowing, no tedious labor in harvesting, no tedious labor in preserving, but 12 months out of the year where God provides everything that you need. 12 months out of the year where you always have what, what is good and what is enjoyable and what is good for you. Access to the tree of life. When we live with God, we will live forever without anxiety over our needs not being met. Already we're supposed to trust God to do what is right and to trust God for everything else. But here's a place where all, all sense of scarcity, economics in a new heavens and new earth doesn't make sense anymore because there's no more supply and demand. There's no scarcity. There's only limitless abundance for everybody everywhere. And the leaves, the leaves are for the healing of the nations. That is, all of our pains, all of the hurts, all the injuries, all the diseases, all the things that, that cause loss and take away ability and take away health, they're all gone. I'm talking about a place where there is flourishing and production and abundance and life forever and ever. Healing for God's people. This is where happiness and Fruitfulness and fulfillment and peace and security are found. John says there will no longer be anything accursed. Remember the curse that was upon the ground for Adam to work. None of the tedious labor that we go through. None of the tedious labor to, 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 to sort of coax things out of the ground. Instead, simply... No curse, no curse of sin, no curse of death. It's all gone. God's people living in God's presence without the curse, without the curse brought on by sin.
No longer will there be anything accursed, but his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. That is, we'll, we'll be marked the same way that the book of Revelation has talked about us being marked before. Not with the mark of the beast, but being sealed as God's people. We belong to him, and we'll see his face. That is, the, the whole idea is that we would, we would have the, the, the full blessing and the full favor of God. When God looks upon us, it's like the, it's like the blessing that... Aaron would speak over the people from number six. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. What In a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem, this bride, which is a city, which is a people, which lives in God's presence forever, they see God. And God brings blessing and fulfillment and life eternally for them. No light, no more night, no more light. The Lord will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Remember back in Genesis 1, going all the way back to the, to the beginning, God said to Adam, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the earth and subdue it. It's kingly kinds of language. I want you, I want you to live by my word. And I want you to rule this world as a reflection of who I am. And here are God's people fulfilling all that God designed in the beginning. That we would live in God's presence without need or fear or danger or anxiety or worry or death ever again. And we will live and we will reign forever and ever over God's creation the way he intended it to be from the beginning. It's a good place. It's a good picture. It's, it's something to live for. This world does not offer you what you need to live for. The, the desires of the human heart, the desire to be, to be without fear, without danger, to be secure, to have abundance, to have, have no need, to be without injury or disease or death. All these desires that we have, all these things that we, that we would... If, if we talk about them, we, don't, we, we, we try not to think about death. We try not to think about what if we lost everything, the, the, the fears that we have that could happen here, all taken away. No more curse. Instead, live with God forever and ever. The world is offering you ways to make some semblance of a false utopia here. There are even those who go by the name of Christian, who try to teach us that there is some way to have heaven here on earth. The only way to have heaven here on earth is for God to bring it, for God to make a new heaven and a new earth, to bring a new Jerusalem, to make a people, to make all things right. Trust in him. Live your life now for Jesus Christ, and he will will bring you to himself, He will give you eternal life, and you'll never perish. Let's live for this vision of our future, which is ours in Jesus Christ, if we'll believe in him. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, this vision of our future, the future of those who, who trust in Jesus Christ, who have been called by your name, who have been called by your spirit, who have been set apart for your purposes. Uh, Thank you that you have called us saints, that you have called us your holy ones.
that you have called us your people, that you have called us your bride, that you have made us your own. Please sustain us and keep us and hold us until the end. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.